Carpenter's Way. Once you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Bring your time, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me. I'm not right, but that's all right.
way. It's kind of fun to get up here after that. Y'all are excited. <laughs> well, welcome to Carpenter's Way, and if you're visiting, a very special welcome. We're glad that you've joined us, and I have to admit that I know you probably all feel this way too, those of you who come here every week, but it, it kind of gets exciting on Sunday morning. You may be a little tired at first, but then you start realizing you get to come and be with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worship together, and you kind of get excited to be here and see the faces and give hugs and all that kind of stuff. So glad you're here because I was excited to see you. So, <laughs> um, I just want to get started, first to saying welcome, but secondly, just to let you, just to remind you, it's been in the worship guide um, for our ladies, um, just last week I think we started it, but we have another study beginning, it'll um, be offered on Wednesday nights and Sunday evenings, um, and I don't have my glasses, and I don't have my, let's see, I mean I don't have them on, okay, um, starting the first week or so of February, there we go. The, it's a study on Elijah. It's actually a study out of 1 Kings and looking at the life of Elijah and talking about spiritual stamina. Um, so I'm excited about this study. I know that the, the two leaders, Sally McKinney, will do Sunday night, and Heather Terry is going to do Wednesday night. They're excited to get started on this. So um, I just want to encourage you, if you have those times open, you're interested in, in getting into the Word and studying with a group of women, do that. And we have um, sign-ups available so we can order books for you. So if you're interested in doing that, sign up so we can get the books ordered on time. Thanks, Jules. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, great to see you this morning. Is it beautiful this morning? We get up here early, and uh, man, the sun was coming up over the chicken plant, and it was like living on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's good. 
<laughs> it's good. Would you open your worship guides? There's a few things that I'd like to highlight for you. We're so glad you're here this morning, or if you're watching by internet, I do want you to know that we are aware that we've been having some issues on that, and we believe that that has been solved, but uh, we're checking those things out, and, and glad you can join us, whether it's in the room or online, and, and hope that having been with us today, that although we want you to like us, of course, we hope you fall in love with Jesus. That's, uh, at the end of the day, that's really what matters. So thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, welcome to the family. It's great to have you with us. Um, a few announcements about today. You'll see around you a bunch of people wearing T-shirts uh, like Steve's right there, D-Now Road Trip. Uh, that is because we had about 60 youth and staff go to D-Now uh, this weekend at Hot Hearts, and it was a, it was a fantastic weekend. And Jeff said that <laughs> that's the one person. John is the only one awake. <laughs> but... But I uh, heard they had a great weekend, and uh, so be praying for our students as God continues to work in them. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff, and, and boy, uh, Julie talked about women's Bible study. We've got men's Bible study every Tuesday morning from 6.30 to about 7.10. Uh, we've got Bible studies going on before and after Sunday morning service. Uh, we've got student ministry activities all the time, children's ministry that's led by Alicia and her team. There's stuff going on all the time, and the point of each of those things is certainly to introduce people to Jesus, but ultimately to encourage people in their walk with God. So we want to encourage you to be involved with that, uh, to jump into some of those things so you can uh, get to know folks and build relationships uh, and be praying for those. Uh, having said that, there is not GPS today, uh, so the children are going to stay in here. Um, this, at, at, during the 11 o'clock hour, there are, is it noon or 11? It's the 11 o'clock hour, there is a preschool training, gathering, lunch, celebration stuff that, that's going to take place. If you're interested in that, you can uh, talk to Alicia right after the service or head into the Connection Center if you'd like to be involved in that ministry. It's a wonderful ministry, and, and uh, we appreciate everybody who's involved. You know, it is incredible when you start looking at the numbers how many of you are involved in ministry, and uh, that, that pleases the Lord. Uh, religion without involvement in religion is just religion. But a relationship with God causes us to be transformed and to, and to affect others. So we're, we're pleased and appreciate all that you do for the kingdom and, and all that. Uh, please take some time to look at your worship guide. Important stuff in there. Uh, announcement from Mosaic Center. There's summer dates for children's ministries already. I know it seems crazy. We're in the middle of winter. That ends in about four hours. And, um, but uh, take some time to put that on your calendar. Plan your summer events around that. You've got women's Bible studies and other things coming up, so please uh, take note of that. I'm going to ask our ushers to come up at this time as we prepare for our offering. Uh, for those of you who are not uh, very versed in church, giving of our tithes and offerings of our wealth is part of how we worship the Lord. It's not an addendum uh, to what we do on Sundays. It's not just a. Uh, it's not just how we finance this. The scriptures tell us that where our our our, our wallet is, our heart is, and. Uh, so as part of our worship, every Sunday we give, we do ask that if this is not your home church, you don't need to give. That's, that's, we don't want you distracted by money. We want you to be focused on the Lord and what he wants to say to you. Uh, for the rest of us, this is our obligation as part of our family to take care of each other and the ministries. We, have, we support the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's about 5,000 missionaries globally that we participate financially with. And then on top of it, there's, I think, about 16 mission groups and individuals that we support as a church as well. So we're very actively mission-oriented, and this money goes towards that as well as paying our bills. So thanks for your participation. Let's pray and commit the rest of our time to the Lord. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming 2,000 years ago and dying on the cross so this matters. 
Uh, if you hadn't come, if you hadn't died, if you hadn't rose again, Lord, this would just be religion without, uh, without consequence. Uh, it might be nice things said to each other, but I thank you that you have taken, Father, the uh, condemnation, the judgment that is due us, you've taken it upon yourself on the cross. And so, Father, if there's somebody here or watching that has not accepted that gift, may today be the day of their salvation. For those of us who know you, Father, uh, may you teach us a little bit more about you as we continue our study in, in your, your life. I'm excited about this morning's uh, message. I, I learned so much. I was encouraged in my faith. Lord, uh, we all come in here struggling with sin in our flesh, and self-medicating our pain away. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us this morning to learn that you have taken the ultimate sting of death and sin in your body on the cross, and there is hope for us and joy in a relationship with you. So uh, meet us where we're at. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. Uh, thank you for uh, the gifts we're about to receive, the financial gifts. I just pray that, uh, Lord, we, we will be careful to use them to glorify you. Thank you again that we can gather this morning, like Julie said, and have a great time together. In Jesus' name we pray.
in the work that you have done. There is nothing that you left undone. You've opened our world to the presence of our God. Welcomed here as worthy because of the cross. We cannot walk wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame and he's asked us to come and rest oh rest in our God salvation's Wiped away the stain of 
forever to our God. And He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest. Oh, rest and rest. Oh, rest in our God. Amen. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you never change. Before the world was formed, you created us because you loved us and wanted to pour love on us. You wanted us to become a people in relation to you. And we turned our backs on you. And immediately, you put a plan into action that was in place before the world was even formed to adopt us anyway. That kind of love doesn't make sense to us. It's hard for us to grasp, especially in the face of religion that's cold and often judgmental. And so, Father, as we continue our search to find out who you are, um, teach us from your word. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us. Confirm in our hearts your love and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just, before we start, um, I just want to remind you how in love with you God is. I mean, it's, and it's not the kind of love your husband or wife has for you or your parents had for you. This is, this is an eternal chasing love. And he doesn't just love you, he likes you. And I, I know you know your sin, and I know you're thinking right now, how could he like me? I have chosen sin over him many times. I'm just telling you that that is the fact. It, it just is what it is. And we are embarking on a study in recent weeks that's going to take us 32 years to get through. But boy, what a great question. Who is this man? And I want to remind you that even the disciples that had walked with Jesus were about a year and a half into their ministry with him when he walks on water to him and, and gets in this boat and falls. I mean, all these stories. And they ask the question, who is this man, after he calms the storm, that even the seas obey him? Who is this guy? Because it doesn't matter how many years or how much time you spend with him, you're still in awe of him when you take time to look at who he is. And I, uh, in the couple, last couple of weeks, man, I have enjoyed, I am so familiar with these stories, but it has been so great to study these stories again, just in their scripture, within context, all four gospels. It's awesome. And uh, I hope you left last week when we talked about Jesus as a preteen, saying how how is it that he's fully God and fully man? There is no answer to that. I want you to know that. For hundreds of years, people have been trying to explain it, but at the end of the day, you walk away going, you are so good. Why would you even submit yourself to Mary and Joe? Why would you do that? And his answer is, because my father sent me to love you. One more thing before I get into my message. I want you to know that, yes, Jesus loves you, just like the song said, but I want you to know the reason he came is because his father loves you. He's not the old judge with the white hair who's mad at you. He loved you so much he sent his only son to die for you so that you might have eternal life. And most of you here have accepted that gift of eternal life. And I'm just here to remind you he still loves you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And he is glad you're in relation to him. And, it's, and we gather and we look at each other and there's lots of stuff going on. Some of you have heart surgery this week, praying with a guy about that. And some of you have marriage issues going off, and some of you have shame issues from the past, and I'm here to tell you that the one person in all of eternity that doesn't hold any of that against you is God. He's not looking at that. He has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, and the problems you have are all process of you going home. And soon, you guys, soon we'll be home. And all of this will just be a, a wonderful and terrible time of memories. We will have joy together. This is just the beginning of, of, of what God has planned for us. And I, ho I hope 
I hope I can convince you of that every Sunday because it's good news. And this morning is good news. Julie and I, um, and I've told you this before, partially because of money issues, but partially because we just enjoyed road trips. We've been to um, almost every state. I think there's maybe four or five that we haven't been to in the, con- in the continental U.S., uh, driving with our kids as they grew up. I know a lot of you like to fly to Mexico or take a cruise. I got to tell you, if you just had a kid, make a plan to drive them across the country. There is nothing like being in an air-conditioned car on old Highway 66 when it's 104 degrees out and you're driving through the painted desert and you're just you're going and you got a you got a gas station with a dinosaur coming up and you stop and you get tea and I'm telling you I know some of you go my kids will scream the whole time you put on Odyssey and you talk and learn about God but there is something so cool about traveling this country we've seen so many amazing things and and talk together we talk about God and we listen to old 80s music because it's the best music ever and you know, my kids would ask, how could you listen to that? You were a pastor. And I said, not at 16, but, but it, was, it was awesome. And, and we loved those trips. And Julie is a wizard at planning driving vacations and her offers herself to you for a small fee to help you find them. She finds these weird off-the-wall places that you used to have be a part of AAA to see. I remember one time she took us uh, the Corn Palace. Where is that? South Dakota, right, right? Wow, you can ask Ron too, apparently. But it, it's cool, and every year they take corn and they, they, they decorate the front of this. It's, a, it's an auditorium. It's a, it's a theater. It's really cool. But she finds all these off-the-wall places that are so fun to stop at. And, and if you were to ask my kids, and you can ask them next time, and I promise they'll answer this, what's your favorite part of your growing up vacations? They'll say stopping at weird gas stations for tea. They, we, just, we just love that. And uh, some of the cool stuff we've done. Um, there's a highway, and you all are familiar with Route 66, and you know that Right after the Depression, and and if you're a historian, give me a little room here. But after the Depression, one of the things our country did to hire people is they made the superhighway, which is uh, now Route 40, which goes along, kind of cuts in and out of Route 66. If you're ever going to take Route 66, you'll realize soon that that's a two-lane highway, and and a lot of it goes in line with with 40, but you have to get off it to see some of the old hotels. And Julie found us a place a few years back on our way to picking up our kids uh, at camp, uh, this old hotel that's been open since the 30s, and they've kept it clean, but it's the same hotel. Every, it's, it's a drive-in hotel, even places, I don't know, it's, but it's really cool. Where was it? Tecumseh? Te- in, in New Mexico somewhere. But uh, we found, she found us this old hotel where they used to make the Western movies, and all the stars would stay there. And they had this stage. It's just so cool. She's a magician with all that, but uh, I digress. Anyway... Up north, before they built that super highway that started in Chicago and goes to the beaches of L.A., there were, there were uh, a couple, there was a southern route and a northern route of two-lane highways that would go across. And the northern route would take you through South Dakota and the Badlands, and there was a gentleman who o- purchased an old store, and he was a pharmacist, and he actually opened an, uh, and wanted to get people to his store in the middle of nowhere, especially when the super highway was built. Waldrug. Somebody just said that. How many of you have been to Waldrug? Well, this is the little, little known fact. It's, it, it's in the middle of nowhere. And as you drive along the highway, and, and now Highway 90 is the superhighway of the north, and it starts in New York and goes all the way to the west coast, but you will start to see signs like this. 979.52 miles. All along, I'll put another one up there. I've got several. Free ice water. This guy decided that if he started advertising along the two-lane highway and along the major freeway, for thousands of miles, that by the time you got close, have you dug wall drug? You put the next one up there. 
Homemade pies. It's now huge. Keep going. Yeah, there it is. And right in front of it is a, uh, what is it? Does that say 60, uh, 80-foot dinosaur? And, and for, for those of you, hold on just a second. Don't put it up there, Kevin. But for those of you who, who understand how the old Route 66, and again, this is the northern route, but Route 66, there were all these little mom and pop stores in the fields. They would own cattle and different things in the fields. And they opened these stores, like little general stores, because cars wouldn't make it. They didn't have radiator fluid. They need water. But they, the problem was so many had popped up that they would try to grab your attention by putting things like dinosaurs that your kids would go, let's stop. If you've driven New Mexico, you've, you know that they do a lot of rock sales. You can go in and for $5 buy a meaningless little piece of rock. Um, but it works because we stopped at every one. And we had fun. But this is in front of the wall drug store, but, but right behind it is this. That's what it looks like now. It was once this tiny little store, but I'm telling you, 958 miles outside of this little Badlands town, which is almost across the street from the Badlands where you enter it, this store exists, and it doesn't matter if you are a man cruising to California, and you know what I'm saying, we don't like to stop. It doesn't matter if you are a man heading to the West Coast. By the time you've seen 720 of those signs, you know that something important is about to happen. <laughs> and you've got to taste that water. And i got to tell you something. It's from a well out back, and it tastes like any other water you've ever tasted. But you sit down, and they put ice in it, and there's something special. When we went there, the kids were very young. We were living in Wisconsin. No, they weren't. We didn't have kids at that point. This was Wisconsin. Obviously, my memory isn't as good as my preaching. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, I, I, I just got three text messages. Um, but I, but we, we stopped there, and we had the opportunity to actually meet Mr. Wall. His health wasn't good. His kids were running the store, and he sat with us, which was really weird. But he sat with us, and he told us about the history of this place. But, but here's what I want you to grasp from this. If you go on that highway, if you start, even in New York, if you're on Highway 90, you know that you've got to stop at Wall Drug and buy a sticker for the back of your car. It doesn't matter doesn't matter if it's a trailer, doesn't matter if it's a van, there's something special because there are so many signs that tell you this is really important. Something's about to happen. Well, what those signs do for wall drug, God has done throughout history. You may not realize it, but that's because we've lost the context of Scripture. For instance, God could have started everything over way more efficiently than having old Noah spend 100 years building a boat. But you realize that the reason he spent 100 years building a boat is because it was the way to say to all the wicked, violent people living in the land, something big's about to happen. God's going to cause something to happen that you've never seen before. And it gave him the opportunity to tell people, the destruction is at hand, you need to get in the boat. And only eight end up getting in the boat. But it was a signpost. God could have removed the, the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery. But instead, he used 10 plagues. He could have killed all the Egyptians and just let the Hebrews stay, but he didn't. Instead, he put plagues. And it tells us that the reason he put the plagues there is so that everyone, from the Egyptians to the Hebrews to the people on the out, uh, outside of that land, would know that the God of the Jews is a God to be reckoned with. God could have just killed the prophets of Baal when Elijah took them on. But instead, they spend a whole day, and he lets the prophets of Baal call down fire from Baal from heaven, who doesn't show up. And then at the end of the day, he just prays, and God licks up all the altars and the water around the altars. God does that to let the Hebrews know that he is God, and Baal doesn't answer prayer. This is not unknown to you, 
But let me show you one that we just spent a season talking about in Luke chapter 2. It tells us the angel reassured them. Who are them? Who's he talking to? The shepherds. Don't be afraid, he said, for I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. There's a sign. Oh, it's like wall drug sign. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, we know the Christmas story. They didn't. There wasn't a Christmas story before that. So when the angel comes to them and says, we got good news of great joy. Today, the Messiah is in Bethlehem. They didn't know where to find him or what he'd look like. So God sends signs around him. You ever wonder why he was born uh, uh, in, wrapped in snugly in strips of cloth? You thought it was just that's what you do with babies. But why was he in a manger? Because that's the only baby in a manger in Bethlehem that day. That's why. It wasn't just a fulfillment of prophecy. It's because God wanted the shepherds to know which baby they should bow to. And that was a sign. But not just that. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 tells us this. People of Israel... Uh, listen, and this is Peter preaching, God publicly endorsed, that's another word for said, this is my chosen one, Jesus the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. So throughout history, and, and these are just a few, throughout history, you need to understand, there's like, there's like a, a feeling today that the world is awash with religions and you get to choose whichever one stands out to you. And the truth is, that's not true. Throughout history, God does not expect you just to pick Christianity by random chance or a roll of a dice and follow him. He has proven and pointed out that he is somebody to be reckoned with. He's the right one. He's the only one. You see, because this, this isn't just true in the ones that I laid out for you, but between the snuggly strips of cloth baby lying in a manger and his miracles... There was another signpost. There was another sign. And this sign screamed, something big is about to happen. His name was John, and he was Jesus' cousin. John 1, 6 through 8 says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a signpost, a witness to tell about that light. John testified in John 1.15. John testif uh, testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the ones I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. Boy, there's a lot of doctrine in that. There's a lot of deep theology. But the point is that John was saying his message was somebody's coming pretty soon. Open your eyes. Wall drug is only a mile away. It used to be 938 miles. Well, it's one mile away. Pay attention the one I've been telling you is coming. He's here. And it was effective. John 1, 19 through 27 says this is John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. And who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Wall drug, 50 feet. There's the dinosaur. So out of context, John is some freako dude 
who ate locusts and honey and wore camel wool. I want you to know that the reason that's told in Scripture is because the guy looked like a freak in the wilderness. It's not because we write it off as there was a lot of weird people. This guy was uniquely weird. Why? The same reason that the signposts are, it's a cool day at Wall Drug with colorful, or are you cool, or drink ice water, and they're in colorful signs. The same reason those signs don't look boring and don't fade into the set of the countryside as you drive along Highway I-90, the same reason that they stand out, John looked like a freak because he was a force to be reckoned with. You needed to listen to his message. Verse 24 in John 1, Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, Well, I baptize with water. And let me tell you, he's in that, this is important, and I'll explain it later, and you'll see. He's actually saying, You're right, my baptism isn't a big deal. I'll show you later that. I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd, now you know what Jesus did before his ministry began. He's standing in the crowd listening to John preach. How about that? Right here in the crowd, if I can find where I was, it'll be great. Oh, here it is. I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the strips of his sandals. You see, God didn't just leave humanity in a world of religious thought where we just have to figure out that he's the right one. The question of what about the person living in Irian Jaya, who is, lives in a tribe who has never even seen a white person, let alone a Jew or a sheep. How do they know about God? God has sent signposts to all men, women, and child, children who have ever been born that there is a God to be reckoned with, and if you seek him, you will find him. In fact, Romans chapter 1, it actually tells us that everyone is without excuse because just the creation alone is the signpost of the goodness of God. I mean, the, the fact is that God is so passionate for people that he screams his existence, and I am here, and here is my message. We think of the star over where uh, the house where Jesus was living as a toddler is the only sign so that people can find him. I just pointed out for you six other signs that say this is God, he's here, and he's here with a message you need to hear. In Matthew chapter 3, listen to what the apostle Matthew uh, has to say about John the baptizer. In those days, John the Baptist, and I don't like to call him John the Baptist because they think that he's, which version of Baptist? There's only 50 different types of Baptists. There's the North American Baptist, Southern Baptist. He's not a Baptist. He's a baptizer, and that was his nickname. That's what they called him. In those days, John the Baptizer came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Near. It's a time thing. The kingdom of God is about to happen. Watch yourself. Check yourself. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. That's just a fancy biblical way of saying, wall drug, 25 feet, you just passed the dinosaur. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. For, the food, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. It tells us that in several different places because the guy was really genuinely a freak. Am I saying that he's the only one that ate locusts and honey? No, but this guy stood out. He stood out, and his message was passionate, and his message was influential. Uh, the thing, the tacky nature of the wall drug signs draws attention. John the baptizer stood out because his message was clear and not self-centered. So if there were other 
camel-wearing, locust-eating freaks in the wilderness proclaiming the judgment of God, this guy stood out because he proclaimed the mercy of God based after the judgment, that you should turn to him, that the one who follows him is going to be bigger than he is, while all the others are saying, you should repent to me. They made it about themselves. Jesus uniquely, or John uniquely made it about the one who followed him. The second thing is he wore weird clothes. That made him stand out. And the third thing is he had locust parts in his teeth. I know that we kind of go, well, that was a weird time in history. I want to remind you that they liked lamb, okay? I want to remind you that they liked lamb. And everybody that wasn't a Jew liked pork. Everybody outside of that ate like you ate. They eat meat. They like it. In fact, the Jews were instructed to make sure that if you eat meat, you bleed the meat because people, and if you go back and you look at German history or all that stuff, you find that a lot of, well, a lot, sometimes you do. Some of you have weird traditions where when you kill your first deer, you take a bite of its liver. I want you to know that that's strange, okay? It's like eating locusts in the wilderness, but you can do it. I'm not judging you. That's Okay, I'm judging you, but you, you know, if you're going to eat liver, cook it with onions. It's still gross, but it you know, makes more sense. But I, I just, I just want to tell you that the reason it tells us that John wore camel wool and ate locusts and honey is because that was a sign that he should be listened to. Because he wasn't some raving lunatic out there. What he said actually lifted up something and was measurable. And he was impactful. Verse 5 says that people from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And when they saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that A, you have repented of your sins, and B, you've turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you that God can create uh, children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, this is important. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. This is what made this freak's message different. There were many in the wilderness who actually claimed, historians tell us, to be the Messiah themselves. But Jesus is the only one who did miracles, and actually John is the only one who said somebody else is coming greater than me. He wasn't building himself up. He wasn't becoming rich by the message. He was pointing so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And they all, as a group, went, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Listen to what John says Jesus will do in verse 12. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gather the wheat into the barn, but burning the chaff will nev with, uh, with never-ending fire. Wow. This guy sounds like an old Southern Baptocostal preacher that your grandmother took you to hear when you were a child. He really does. He sounds like that guy. Understand, this is the difference. This freakish John the Baptizer was the signpost, the opening act for the Messiah, not the Messiah. Which is why he will say over and over in the text that I give you this morning, I'm baptizing with water. It's the Jordan water. It's not even that clean. But the guy who comes after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And just, I, I'm probably going to forget it later, but let me be clear. 
1 Corinthians tells us that unless you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you are not the child of God. This is not talking about tongues. The fruit of the Spirit's presence in Galatians chapter 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and long-suffering. It's not tongues. Tongues is a spiritual gift that some get and others do not get, and it's been convoluted in today's Pentecostal self-worship time energy, and it's not just in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches, it's in the Baptist church as well. If we study doctrine but don't submit to Jesus, we're going to hell. If we worship well but we don't submit to Jesus, we're still going to hell. That's the difference between baptizing with water and baptizing with the Holy Spirit. If these Jews depended on their water baptism, because their question to John was, what gives you the right to baptize at all? And John's going, baptism isn't that big a deal. It's actually the Holy Spirit's baptism by the one who's following me that matters. Does that make sense? You see, what you have here in what I just told you is you have something that contextually you will begin to understand. The Jews had a problem. You see, the Jews actually believed that spiritually they were in fine shape because they were Jews. They believed that because they had genetic lineage to Abraham and God had made a covenant with Abraham, that they were fine and that the priests through the uh, Mosaic covenant had solved the sin problem. If you remember from every message I've ever preached, the Jews' big, and, and especially on Palm Sunday, the Jews' big concern was not getting forgiven of their sins, but actually their biggest concern was that God would redeem the nation of Israel out of the hands of Gentiles, not just Romans, but any Gentile group, so that they could become the nation that God had intended them. And it wasn't just all of the Jews. I mean all of the Jews, including the disciples, who when Jesus told them he's about to die on the cross to save them, are still arguing who's going to be the greatest of the kingdom. You see, the Jews actually thought that their problem was not a sin problem. They were very content with the offering of bulls and goats to cover their sin, they didn't know that their sin needed to be removed. They were not concerned that the Messiah saved them as much as saved their city. That's why he stood up and said, I'm baptizing with water. You brood of vipers, who told you you needed to repent? Because nobody's talking about repentance for salvation. People are talking about repentance so God will heal their nation. They didn't think they had a spiritual problem. They thought they had a national problem. They don't think sin is an issue. They think they've solved it, solved it with their adherence to their Jewish heritage and religion. So God sends John to clearly and convincingly scream, and I do mean scream, to anyone and everyone in the Hebrew world that they were in spiritual peril, judgment was coming, but that God had sent someone to save them not just with water, religion, or human effort, but actually by the Holy Spirit's power. Now, I want you to catch up with me. I want you emotionally and mentally to catch up. We look at a message like John, especially in the modern church, and we go, well, that doesn't work anymore. Let me be clear. John wasn't here to work. He was here to say, you need to pay attention to somebody that's going to have a message. You need to pay attention because something's about to happen that will change everything for you. In Matthew 3, 11 and 12, John said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or carry his sandals. I will or he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with the winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gather the wheat into his barn, 
uh, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. In other words, what he is saying, to be clear, is religion, even Hebrew religion, will not save you. It's Even if it's the correct religion, if you are depending on that religion to save you, you will not be saved. It may baptize you with water like John did in the desert, but it is only the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, Spirit that seals and saves and separates the wheat from the chaff, the saved from the religious. Now I sound like a Baptist preacher. You have to understand this. Being a genetic child of Abraham would not save their souls, John the Baptizer screamed. Neither will being a member of a Baptist or Pentecostal church or having been baptized in her waters or taking her communion or walking her aisle. None of that stuff saves you. That's the problem with the message of the church today. We've got throngs of people living in East Texas that remember a day in VBS where they raised their hands and prayed a magic prayer, and they are depending on that, no matter what their life has looked like, to save them. And the problem is they became religious that day, but they may not have become a child of God because when the Holy Spirit comes in as the result of your salvation, which is the difference between a saved person and a non-saved person, when he comes in, he changes things. It works. Salvation is not by works, but it does work. It changes you. It's a transformation. If all you have been is water baptized and then you go on and live your life any way you want, you've only been saved from whatever the Baptist or Pentecostal church can save you from, which is nothing. You see, the problem is the Baptist and Pentecostal churches, and I'm trying to use extreme and Christian churches, can only save. Uh, the problem is even the pastors are messed up. We all need redemption. But there is an element of satisfaction with religion that makes us feel safe instead of a relationship with God. Look at what Mark said about this signpost we call John the Baptizer. Mark 1, uh, 1 through 8. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophets Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. So, so take a breath. The prophet Isaiah, 800 years before John is born. Probably 900, 850 or something like that. So this is 800 years before. Isaiah didn't just prophesy about Jesus. He prophesied about somebody who would, pro who would proclaim his coming. That's John. And what is it he said? Look, I am sending my message ahead of you. He will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. So to be clear, John's job was not to save people, but to tell people they needed to be saved because the whole culture didn't know they needed it. Again, contextually, understand. The Jews don't think they need spiritual salvation. They think they need nationalism. They think they need a wall. They think they need an immigrant policy. That's what the, and if you think I'm making jokes, that's what the Mosaic Covenant, it, it actually talked about all the stuff. All the stuff America is fighting about today, God dealt with in the Mosaic Covenant, and all you got to do is not fall asleep in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. All, that's all you got to do. It talks about all that. It even tells you where to, where, where to bury your waste outside of camp. And if you think tattoos are wrong because the Old Testament says it, then you better be wearing, bearing your waist outside of your house. The, the, the fact is, God was king, and he sets that up. But the truth is that the kingdom was set up to bless not only the Hebrews, but the world. And the blessing wouldn't come through the laws God set up, but the Messiah. And I'm here to tell you that these people were perplexed because they thought they were fine. Verse 4, this messenger that would proclaim, that would scream, prepare the way, that was shouting in the wilderness, that said, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. And in other words, get rid of all the other junk in your life and listen to him. This messenger was John the Baptist, verse 4 says. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show 
Baptism didn't save them. Even, even John is admitting it. It's to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Some of you right now are struggling with me saying that John is undermining his own message. I want to be clear that I believe that from, because that's what this text says. It was a sign. The same way that walking an aisle and praying a prayer doesn't save you, it's the condition of your heart. It's repentance. It's not just saying, I'm sorry that my wife caught me in adultery. It is actually saying, I have not only sinned against my wife, I've sinned against you. Everybody feels guilty when they get caught in sin. That's sorrow. It's not repentance. Repentance is saying, you are Lord, you've got a better way, and even though my flesh likes this way, I'm going to follow you. It's choosing God over self. That's repentance. And i got to tell you that as I read this this week, I thought about the church today. If an alien, and Bible study leaders take notes, this is a question I didn't write for you, but it's a good one to start your class with. If an alien was to come from a foreign land and land in the United States of America in a parking lot of a church and attend that Sunday, what would he or she or it say that the message of that gathering is? Think about that. Probably better families, probably better jobs, probably a better life, probably a stronger morality, probably whatever. Fill in the blank if you've experienced, even in the good church. But it's just like the Jews of this day. The message of there's a problem. Sin has separated you from God. Not just homosexuality, but selfishness and self-righteousness and gluttony. You see, we have named sins that we don't like. We've named them. We've listed them. And we have a hierarchy of sin in the Christian church. It's, we understand a little gluttony because who doesn't need a little gluttony on a Sunday afternoon? But homosexuality, how dare you? The truth is they both separate you from God. And the reason that they're listed in Scripture is not to show you who's a worse sinner, but to simply say what John is saying. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And why are you here listening to me? Who told you you were in trouble? What made you wake up? You, you brood of vipers. God's at war with you, and the message I've got is war with you. I want to make it clear. The war of God and his truth is not against the lost uh, homeless guy who's a drug addict because that guy knows his life is screwed up. His war is with half-truth Christians who keep telling people that God loves you just the way you are and you don't have to change. That's a lie. You absolutely not only have to, but you will. You don't even have to try if the Holy Spirit comes in. It happens. Well, it hasn't happened in my life. You need to read Galatians chapter 5 then. You see, the problem is, is that they, any more than we do, they don't think they have a problem. So God sends John, and he's screaming, hey, hey, what are you doing? And he baptizes them, but to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God and be forgiven. Verse 5, it tells us that it was very effective because all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Again, the guy's a freak. But people are hearing the message and being impacted by it. Verse 7, John announced, Some is, Someone is coming soon that's greater than I am, so much greater, I'm not either even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. All of a sudden, John isn't a freak. He's a tool. And I mean that in the best sense. He's a tool, just like you. You're a tool. You know that, right? The New Testament says you're a temple. 
Our message isn't to make this a palatable message or to make it a happy message or to tell people lies or to make them feel better about their experience. Our lesson is to tell them that they need saving and the only one who can do it is Jesus and he will save you because he loves you. And he actually loves you enough to send me to tell you. That's your job. Your job is you live out the love of God. Just like John, you sit with people and you tell them a harsh truth that they don't want to hear, which doesn't seem to be palatable today. And that is, without forgiveness, there's no redemption. And the only way for you to be forgiven is by accepting Jesus Christ's offer to forgive you and being transformed. And I want to tell teenagers, specifically, you went to Hot Hearts this weekend. Good for you. But if he doesn't own your life, you're not his child no matter how Baptist you are. This is, a, this is a problem. It's a problem for us as much as it was a problem for them. We're talking right now about who is Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, then you have to see how badly he wants people to be saved from the coming wrath that was introduced to us through the garden sin. God is about the business of restoring us to the Garden of Eden. That's all the New Jerusalem is, a better version of the Garden of Eden. He restores the tree of life there. There's a crystal river. Every nation is represented there. We worship him. We enjoy him forever. It's a restoration. And the question is, do you want to be a part of his restoration or do you want to live for your flesh? I'm not questioning whether or not the flesh is real and temptation is real. I'm simply asking, have you put all of your eggs in his basket? Because his basket is the only one who can hold eggs. That's a truth. It's just the truth, and it's hard to hear but it's still truth. God is not up in heaven waiting for people to smarten up and figure out how to find him. He's screaming from the moment we left the Garden of Eden for us to look to him, to trust him, to be saved by him from the judgment and death that our grandparents chose to introduce us into the garden. I take you to Cain and Abel. You know Cain. He's the guy with the scar on his face so nobody would kill him. But I want to remind you that before he sinned, God saw him in the process of sinning and said, Cain, what are you doing? Do you remember that part of the story? Read it in Genesis 4. Cain, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you what to do? Go back and do the right thing and I'll accept your sacrifice. Before he does anything wrong, God pleads with him to do what's right. How good is our God? I know, I know, well, judgment, I don't like to hear about that. But you understand it's going to happen whether you want to hear about it or not. It's like a train on a truck. So we Texas is so fastly growing, and you guys know this if you've been to Dallas or Houston or Austin. It's soon Houston and you know, Austin, it's all going to be one city soon, just like San Diego is all the way up past L.A. It, I'm telling you, I grew up when it was still uh, Orange Tree, and it's heading that way. But it's interesting as you drive through the cities, and I know you've seen this, they're building bridges uh, that are only three-quarters completed because they know in the future they're going to need more turnoffs. So if you drive under those bridges, you'll often see a new branch of that bridge. Do you know what I'm talking about, you guys? I don't know if I'm explaining it well. That stops, right, and there's blocks on it. That is the creepiest thing ever. We've never lived in a place that had that. That's because our state is so economically successful. They know that the future is only going to be bigger and they're going to have to branch off. So they build the bridge already in planning for the future growth. It is weird to see. Um, I don't remember why I was telling you that. It was really important, though. Um, <laughs> i got to tell you, I'm so excited about this message because I want you to see the message of condemnation as a message of hope. It's counterintuitive, but the truth is the truth is, it is a message of hope. God sent Jesus to save you. But before you can get saved, you need to know you're not saved. That's what John's job was. And here's how effective Lucifer's being today. He's got us not telling people that they need to be saved anymore. 
Even the church is beginning to move in the direction of not talking about sin because it offends people. Well, yeah, it offends people. It means you can't run your life. That's what Romans 10 says. If you confess Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Grace is true, but grace is only effective if you accept that grace because he's the only Savior. And as we move into an era of Christendom and your kids, please raise your kids with truth. How they act matters. We are the people of light. If we let them live and act and behave like the people of darkness, what difference is there between dark and light? The truth is we are selling a gospel just like the Jews were selling a gospel. It's a gospel of nationalism and religion and come here and God will make you happy. And I'm here to tell you that happiness will take place in eternity. But boy, there's some difficulty here. Ask John who ends up losing his head over this message. The truth is that we have been redeemed and God in heaven sent John to tell us to pay attention because he loves us so much. He's not up in heaven distant. He's involved in and active in and around us. Listen to John's very intense and direct message from Luke 1, 3, 1 to 18. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler in Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over uh, Iteria and Trachonus, whatever. Licinius was the ruler of Abilene, not Texas. Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. At that time, the message of God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. I love this because Luke, the doctor, the scientist, wants you to know exactly when it took place. Why? Because it happened. These aren't just religious stories. Unlike the Book of Mormon that cannot be proven any of it. It's all a lie, just so you know. And if you are Mormon watching today, I would be glad to engage that conversation with you. The scriptures are not found in seven different books. They're found in one book. It is the Holy Bible. You can have your King James, you can read it, but that is truth. The Book of Mormon has no evidential proof at all. Everything you've been taught, everything you have heard is made up. And I know because I've investigated and I spent a summer in Utah and I went to where Joseph Smith was killed and on the floor is the blood of the sheriff he shot as he died as a martyr. You'll have a hard time finding it though because it's been covered up with a rug because they don't want you to know that he defended himself. Martyrs don't do that. To be clear, Jesus is the only one that can save you. Is Mormonism a great religion? Absolutely. So is Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and all the isms in the world, but only one can save you, and it isn't a religion. It's a relationship with God who sent his son to die for you. And his message was to every man, woman, and child, from Catholic to Baptist to Mormon to, to Muslim, I love you enough to save you out of your lives. Come to me. I won't fix your country. I'll fix your soul. And I'm building a new country, and I'm inviting you to own it. You don't even have to just live there. You can own it. You are a joint heir with me. The message of John is necessary because it reminds us that the message of Jesus is so good. John went, verse 3, John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. Verse 7 of John 3. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he says, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? What a jerk. 
These people are coming to hear the message, and he tells them, why are you here? Who told you? I love it. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. You're not saved by turning from your sin or turning and behaving differently, but it's proof that your life has been transformed. And remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in at this point. So they were by faith believing that God would send the Messiah. We have the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That's for another day. We'll get into that farther in Jesus' teaching. Uh, Verse 9, let's jump there. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Do you see it? John is trying to help the Jews listening to him to see that the religious system leaves them bound for eternal judgment and only the one coming after him can save them. John is tilling up the ground of their hearts, preparing for them the ministry of the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is saying, wall drug, 50 miles ahead. Stop for water. And they listened. Verse 10 says, the crowds asked, what should we do? They were moved, terrified. John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires, you thieves. I added that part. What should we do? Some some soldiers even asked. Roman soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. Notice he didn't tell them to quit their regiment. You know why he did this? This is the same reason that Jesus tells the rich young ruler who said he had kept the Ten Commandments perfectly, sell all you have and give to the poor because he knew that he was elevating the rhetoric to a level where they couldn't be saved. I can't do that. Don't worry. Don't worry. The one coming after me, he's going to take care of you now. They leaned on their ceremonial activities to cover the sins. They continued to commit and the selfishness in which they continued to live. They had been baptized in water, but when Jesus would come and baptize in the Holy Spirit with fire, the result was life. Choices, lives, worldviews would be transformed. Listen to John explain this, verse 15. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but something is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater. I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I know you're going, well, you keep reading the same thing over. I want you to know that this was such a powerful thing in the lives of the disciples that all four of the Gospels tell the story, the same story. That is worth paying attention to. That's why I'm reading it to you. I want you to get that there's a signpost. Why does the signpost matter? Because I want you to know how much God loves people. He takes a guy. He creates him. This dude identifies Jesus in in utero and celebrates. New York needs to read that story. Celebrates that the Messiah is in the belly of the woman across the room. He's the cousin of Jesus, and he spends his life at the calling of God, telling people, making way that they need to be saved, upsetting people. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse 17, he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with the winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into its barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. Oh, do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you feel the love of God for humanity? God didn't cause condemnation. He made a way so you're not condemned. There are no good people. There are no righteous people. There's only a God who offers people the gift of righteousness. I don't like God. He's mean. 
How could he be mean? He's grabbing people as they're going to hell on the train that they were born into and saying, you don't have to go there. Why in the world would anybody want to go to hell? And i got to make it clear, the only reason people go to hell is because they want to go there. It is stupid. You don't have to be Baptist or Catholic or whatever. You do have to be part of the family of God, though. And how do you do that? By being adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you, Look at it this way, and this is important for you to grasp. We're almost done. Romans 6.23. Here we go. I think it's going to be on the screen any minute. I've probably thrown him off with all the verses. Oh, you know it. Here we go. For the wages of sin is death. That's John's message. That's what John did. John preached condemnation. The wages of sin is death. It was told to Adam and Eve in the garden. You all know that story. It's true. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus' message, here's his. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scriptures tell us in John 3, 17, that Jesus didn't come to condemn. The world was already condemned. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He sent John to talk about condemnation. He came to tell you about repentance and hope and forgiveness. Well, John and Jesus, they, they spoke opposite messages. No, John set the path, tilled the ground, prepared the, prepared the way for the message of grace. But if you don't know you need grace, why would you accept it? Which is what's so dangerous about the church you're living in now. The church you're living in is watering down sin so you don't really know you need grace. I mean, we know you need grace. That's what Easter's about. But beyond that, it's about having good families and it's about, you know, giving stuff away and having big numbers and us feeling good about ourselves. And I got news for you. It's not about any of that. Your heart, your flesh is deceived. I know many of you struggle with self-esteem. I'm here to tell you, you don't need self-esteem. God loves you enough for you and him. What you need is hope. And hope only comes not by feeding your flesh. Hope only comes when you put your eggs in his basket. When you say things like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if God doesn't save me out of how I feel and what I want, I will never bow to anybody but God again. That's what repentance looks like. Even if he doesn't save me from the things that are driving me crazy, I will still follow him. He's worth it. I trust him. The problem is we're trying to marry the flesh with spiritual life, and that is, of course, going to cause insanity. You can't do that. Ask Judas. It doesn't work. You see, this isn't just where you spend your Sundays and Wednesday nights or how you celebrate Christmas and Easter. This is about how you live. And God knew that, so when Jesus came and died on the cross, rose again three days later, about a month and a half later, he says, I got to go because I'm going to send somebody who's going to actually be more powerful in your life than I am. So he ascends into heaven. Another month later, on the day of Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit, and lives begin to be changed immediately. This is about transformation. Back to John, the baptized. So John's preaching in John chapter 1, verse 29. Kevin, I'll give you a second to find that. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he points at him. There he is. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his job. 
for months or years. We have no idea how long. He's preaching in the wilderness condemnation, and he's calling the religious leaders brood of vipers. And Who told you you were in trouble? You don't preach about trouble. You preach about you're saved and you're fine, and we just need nationalistic crap, whatever. That's all they preach. He said, who told you you were in trouble? And then he preached, and even Roman soldiers want to know, what do we do? What do we do? And he sends them off to fail. You need to be better people. And they go off and they fail. And then these people who are following John, afraid of falling into hell, they're in the crowd one day, and this is the day that John has been waiting for. Moments before his baptism, Jesus comes walking over the hill, and he's been in this crowd many times, but then he goes, the one who's coming after me, there he is! That's the Lamb of God. And this one isn't going to cover your sin. He's going to remove your sin. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your sin has been removed, not covered. Nobody's covering for you. Nobody's covering, not even God. God's not covering for you. He's forgiven you. And when you fail, when Satan reminds you of your failure in the past, you remind him that he's going to hell in the future very soon. And your sin has been put on Jesus. You are forgiven You are holy, not because you're good, but because he's great. And you have been saved, not by water baptism or walking an aisle, but by the Holy Spirit and fire which transforms. We have lost the power. You want to know Jesus? You're going to have to go back and understand that Jesus is the antidote to humanity's decision of self-righteousness and self-care and self-religion. And I'm here to tell you that even the Baptist church has lost her way. We live in a time of some deistic self-psychology with a little bit of doctrine, and I'm here to tell you that if you add Baptist doctrine and psychology, you end up with psychology. Yes, life is hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, you're tempted with sin. God is the antidote to that. And yes, we need counseling. Cool, I'm going to break the pulpit. I've never done that. Wouldn't that be cool? You could tell all your friends, our pastor broke the pulpit. He is a Baptist. (laughs) Listen, we need medic- medication for anxiety. It's, it's, it's not of the devil. It's okay. And temptation is real. And discouragement when your family's falling apart is scary. God is still the answer. You are, it is not, we are not saying that you ignore the ails of life, but with God you have not only the power, but underneath all of that that you're trying to do well in, making enough money for your family, taking care of business, you find your rest in the fact that even if it goes south, God is good and he's got your back. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's not saying don't seek anything else. Seek first. If I love the birds, how much more do I love you? If I care, if if I know how many hairs in your head, some of you, that's not a hard project. But you guys, this morning in heaven, God is looking at you, at you, not the group, you, and he is saying, "I, I love you so much. I know you're struggling with temptation that you don't seem a way out of. I still love you. Come to me. The message of John was you're in trouble. The message of Jesus was come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That song that Chad wrote that we sing all the time, I love it. Rest. You can rest in him. And if you don't, you have nothing to talk about to the world. See, because the world is scared of everything anyway. What they want is hope. And when you put your rest in him, when you find that he is the forgiver of sin, it's not walking an aisle or being baptized or praying a magic prayer, but when God comes in with the Holy Spirit and fire and he begins to transform you and he even begins to change the way you feel, 
when you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's what the world is looking for. And they will look at you like they looked at John the Baptist. Why are you such a freak? And your answer is, everybody's somebody's fool. I'm going to be a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? We have hope. And John, John was sent by God to make sure that the world knew that they needed a Savior. Jesus came to say, I am that man. You're in my job, you're just like John's. You don't have to preach condemnation. They know they're condemned. Preach hope. Hope from condemnation. But it's got to come up. Otherwise, why do you need God? He's just another psycho thing. Romans 6.23. This is the end. It's the very last verse I put for you. Poor Kevin. Send Kevin nice notes this week. For the wages of sin is death. Right? You know that, right? Oh, man. But the free gift of God, it's eternal life through that guy. Not through walking an aisle or water baptism of John. It's not through manipulation of the church or apologetics classes. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to make it clear as we wrap up this morning. The life that God offers, it's not going to fix your divorce. It will fix your heart. And there is hope. I, I know that when you sit back there and you don't know my story, you think that my life has been relatively charmed. I'm a pastor. That's what we assume about all of them. Life is hard, but God is good. And when I lay my pillow, head on the pillow at night, when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's weird. I pray now. Not because I'm super spiritual, but I actually wake up praying. I remember being taught by a Sunday school teacher, don't fall asleep praying, it's disrespectful. I'd like to disagree. Fall asleep praying, wake up praying, wake up in the morning in prayer. Pray through the day. And, and when you're driving, don't do this, okay, because that's not a good idea. <laughs> God's sovereign, but you, you don't want to help him along, taking you home. Talk to him. Talk to him. Walk with him. Enjoy him. And when your day is unusually bad, roll your eyes and go, I'm sure glad I got you. And if you don't know God, how do I say this? You are on your own. Not just now. But 10 seconds after you die, you are still on your own. You don't have to be on your own. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I'm going to be up here after, and if you don't know my dad, I would love to introduce you, and there's other people that would too. I know most of you do. You've just forgotten how good he is. Wall drug sign. Something's coming. Something's coming. Something's coming. i got to drink that water. John, something's coming. Something's coming. I'm scared. I need to drink that water. There he is. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the answer to our prayer. In Jesus' name. Bible study is going to start in five minutes.